Hey, podcast fans, I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons, just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of Liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code TAS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code TAS at liquidiv.com. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hey everyone, Chris Webster here. This episode was recorded live on the radio at 95.1 FM Carson Community Media in Carson City, Nevada. So you hear stuff about calling in with questions. Just ignore that and when you can, tune in to www.knvc.org forward slash listen dash live at noon Pacific on Fridays to participate in the live show. You're listening to The Archaeology Show with Chris Webster on KNVC 95.1 FM, Carson Community Media in Carson City, Nevada, and online at knvc.org forward slash listen dash live. Welcome to the show. Hello, listeners and fans of archaeology. I'm your host for the next hour, Chris Webster. I'm a contract archaeologist in a field we call cultural resources management. And I also run the Archaeology Podcast Network. We have lots of shows about archaeology, and you can find them all at www.archpodnet.com. Today we're talking about archaeology in the news. If you got any questions, this is first and foremost a call-in show, so I don't care what we're talking about. If you want to call in with a question about archaeology, with a question about something you found and or something like that, then call in and... We'll talk about it. 775-515-4141. You can also tweet your questions to ArcheoWebby, A-R-C-H-E-O-W-E-B-B-Y, and at ArcPodNet, A-R-C-H-P-O-D-N-E-T. Again, call in with your questions about archaeology, history, archaeology on TV, questions about finding things in your property, anything. We don't have all the answers, but I'll do my best to point you in the right direction. So that's 775-515-4141. So... I'm not alone in the studio right now. I want to introduce my friend who's been on here before, Brian Woods. Well, hello. Thank you, Chris. How's it going? It's wonderful, man. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, yeah. Brian is a, uh, well, he, Brian, Brian's a lot of things. I don't, I don't really know how to describe you anymore, but um, you're a comedian, Yes. first off, and l- let's tell everybody just to get it out of the way, you've got a show coming up. I do. So let's actually, talk about that real quick. I have uh, two shows coming up, actually. I have a show tonight, which uh, I'm going on. For a dead panacomata comedy, excuse me, comedy, mm-hmm. that's a new one. Um, <laughs> and that's at Reno Improv on Well Street in Reno. And that starts tonight at 8 o'clock, I believe. Okay. And it's $10 at the door. And I'm not the headliner, so it's guaranteed to be better than if I was the headliner. <laughs> that's so, not true. <laughs> so uh, I'll be opening that. And then on the 20th of June, uh, I am producing a show and I'll be hosting a show out at Red Hawk Golf Course. And that'll be starting at 8 p.m. as well. That's a Thursday, June 20th. Uh, tickets will be $20 for general admission or $40 for VIP. We did a show last month, and it was great. Everyone had a great time. Comics loved it. Uh, all the guests loved it. I had a great time. Uh, even the people working there 
uh, we're glad that they got selected to work there that yeah. night. So. And Red Hawk's super chill. If you're in the Reno Sparks area and you don't know about it, it's up in Spanish Springs. Well, Wingfield Springs is mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. the local name for that up there. And uh, plenty of parking. You don't have to worry about, you know, bums or people asking you for money. <laughs> yeah, no tourists Yeah, either. no tourists. Um, so, yeah, easy easy yeah. parking. Uh, easily the, the most aesthetically pleasing venue. Yes, in Reno, I would say. I mean, nothing to say anything bad about any of the other clubs. They're they're great, but I'm sorry, this is a beautiful golf course, right. not downtown Reno. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to get the show going, but first, I want to say, uh, uh, I want to give a message to what I'm aware of as our our longest distance listener right now in uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Probably snowy. I would imagine they have eight feet of snow right now, mm-hmm. even though it's almost June. Mm-hmm. But Christiane Neeser, happy birthday. I'm, yeah. Pretty sure she's like 40 today. Nice. nice. I know. Youngster. I know, right? Happy birthday. If you're 40, yeah. uh, hold on to it. I remember when she turned 24 because I'd never I'd never heard the term golden birthday before. I think that's what she called it. When you're, the day of the month equals your birthday. Oh. The 24th of May, 24. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was a, a term that was new to me. Yeah. Probably because I was 12 when it happened for me. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, so uh, today is is basically just a, there's been a lot of stuff, just random things floating around in the news, and I know these news articles just kind of float through people's. Um, actually, Christy's texting me around right now and say they have no snow. That's a lie. I lived in Grand Forks. There might not be any snow like in her yard, right. but there's 18 foot piles of snow in parking lots. Yeah, yeah, somewhere. It'll be there till July. Sure. It's brown. It's, <laughs> it's brown. brown right it's now. brown. Yeah, that's right. So anyway. Uh, we're going to talk about just some some random things that I have found in the news, and and go from there, and just comment on it. So if you've heard of anything in the news you want to talk about, or you saw a TV show, or or anything, and and you want to you want to bring it up and discuss it, or at least just make us aware of it, and and then we can have a conversation there. Then let me know. Again, the phone number seven seven five. Five one five four one four one. All right. So this first article, uh, it's it's called "The True Cost of Islamic State's Archaeological Looting in Syria Is Becoming Clear." It was published by um, Fiona Greenland, QZ.com. I don't even know what that is. May twenty first, two thousand nineteen, and essentially. You know, a lot of people have talked about the Islamic State or, or ISIS or whatever you want to call them. They have like seventeen different acronyms depending on who you're talking to. But they've talked about all the looting that they've done and all the destruction they've done to archaeological sites and artifacts over in Syria over the course of this war they've been having over there, this civil war. But nobody's really nobody's really taken the time to add up the value. Mm-hmm. Like, like, what is the street value, basically, mm-hmm. of all the stuff that they're doing? So they just took a slice of a couple different sites and said, okay, based on how similar things have sold in the past in, in different markets, even though you don't, you're not really supposed to sell mark artifacts legally. <laughs> right, right, which is the first thing that people ought to be considering, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, but what did these things sell? And I think they called it the farm gate value or something like that, like, right. like basically right off the site, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first step in the chain. Mm-hmm. Farm-to-table you know? artifacts. <laughs> farm-to-table artifacts. Right. Also, artifacts that can fit in their pocket. That's yes. like how big they are. Yeah, they were saying they were, they were actually the <laughs> yeah. more valuable ones were smaller. Right? Yeah. Why? Because you can smuggle them easier. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. So. Yeah, and, and they were they were talking about I mean just these random calculations for a small a small site uh, a small slice of a small site and it was in the uh, eighteen million dollars here mm-hmm. uh, and that that's not including coins because right. coins have like a straight up value but old coins have even more value so right. and then when something's illegal it has a super inflated value yes right so yes. 
Yeah, one could imagine. And yeah, I read the same thing. So here's my immediate question. Yeah. So obviously, aside from the deep web, there is a way to to get these artifacts from people that have them to people that want them. Mm-hmm. Negotiate a fee, you know, a route, logistics, all of that stuff. No one in that chain is is like dropping dimes on anyone. Like, ask me. <laughs> it's hard for me to understand how that many people can do something without anyone messing up and like yeah. ruining the whole thing for everyone. Right. Yeah. There's always one big mouth in the movies, at least that ruins your whole plan. There's always someone. So, so yeah, obviously there's this network where this can, can be done, but there's no way to, I guess, track that. Uh, I, and I think that's what they're trying to do. There are antiquities, um, antiquities. Uh, how should I say it? People, Concerned with the illicit trade of antiquities, mm-hmm. right. and they are trying to track these things back. And and often, the only time they can actually see that something was um, was used is uh, the only time they can see that something was used. Sorry, there's a flashing light in the studio. It's totally distracting me right now. <laughs> um, is is when it shows up on eBay, right. or when it shows up in a you know in a uh, in an auction or something like that. And, and that's the point at which they're like, oh, well, this used to be at this site. Right. But you know, the other problem is. A lot of times, if we see just one tiny little trinket from something, it might have a lot of value to somebody. They may pay a lot for it because you can say it came from somewhere. But mm-hmm. once the provenience is gone, or the, the provenance is the chain, the provenience is the actual location. Mm-hmm. Once that's gone, then you, you, there's almost no way to find out where it came from. And then its intrinsic value as an archaeological artifact pretty much dies. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't know where it came from, if it's not labeled some way, then we don't have it. So... Uh, we do have a call, so let's take that real quick, see if it's on, on topic or, you know, not. So, Hey, welcome to the Archaeology Show. Who's this? Uh, Chris, this is Mark Silver. Mark Silver, how's it going, sir? It's good. Hey, i got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, and you can, you can work it in however you want, but uh, uh, I, I was going to ask you about what kind of tools, when you go out in the field... Do you use? You know, we know Indiana Jones and his shovel or whatever, but I'm sure you've got other technology that you use. Does Does Indiana Jones actually take a shovel into the field? Because I'm not sure that he does. He, he just gets stuff with his whip, right? He just whips it and it chips it right out, and he catches it, puts it in a satchel. That's right. But, uh, I just wanted to see how what what you use in the field, and how do you get whatever information that that you've got to the customer that you're working for. Yeah. Uh, if you could uh, enlighten us on that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, will do. Thanks for the call, Mark. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Hey, Chris, let me add to that, too, um, because that's a really great question. But as you do that, maybe you could kind of project what you would think a criminal would use yes. to extract this stuff. And then, I mean, you know, just for a friend. <laughs> for a friend, yeah. Because we can actually do some some sort of archaeological forensics to find out, hey, was this dug by a professional or was this dug by a criminal? Right. Pretty easy to Brian. tell. Yeah, yeah, pretty easy to tell. So, well, some of the some of the basic tools, now Mark mentioned technology, but some of the basic tools are obviously um, still just hard tools, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're actually digging, then we're using usually flat shovels because they make, they make flat walls. And some people might ask why we dig square holes and square trenches and things like that. It, it's about data preservation. Mm. You know, it, it, we need to know uh, we need to know on, on large and small scales where something came from because its location within a site is almost more important than the artifact itself. Mm. It's like how was it in association with other things? So if we know 
Like for example, if the actual coordinates of something was lost, we actually we know that it came from this one by one meter block, mm-hmm. right? So we can tell it, it, at least it came from there and not ten meters away, mm-hmm. right? So we so we know that. So that's why we dig square holes typically. Now there's some exceptions to that uh, in the southeast. And anywhere, almost anywhere where we do what's called shovel testing for survey is we actually dig round holes with regular spade shovels. And I think that's just for us, uh, an expedient speed type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a first level approach to, to survey and excavation. It's really easy to dig a round hole, uh, usually 30 centimeters wide. So I think that's about a foot and a half, something mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, and then we go as, we basically go as deep as the shovel can reach, honestly, right. uh, which is about a meter, three feet or so. Uh, without struggle, and um, is and then it we, difficult to excavate out of a one and a half diameter hole that deep? Though I mean, yes, yeah, like you're only going to go what two feet, maybe a foot and a half. Well, like I said, we go three, three and a half feet a lot of times. Now it depends. Yeah, it depends a lot on the soil. Mm-hmm. If it's sand, it's super easy to get out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who don't have the skill, like they're a little bit new in the field, they don't know to flip the shovel around 180 degrees and kind of jam out at the wall. Because two things you don't want to do when you're digging, and these are these are where your skill comes in as an archaeologist. And honestly, you know, we're out there doing a job, but like any job, you try to do it. You try to do it well, mm-hmm. and one of the ways we can tell to do that is how straight your walls are. Mm-hmm. So two things people do is they undercut the wall when mm-hmm. they're trying to – they keep shaving, shaving, shaving before they know it. They've bowed out their wall, mm-hmm. which not only looks bad, but you're into the other unit then. And also your wall could collapse. So yeah. that's honestly why I thought everything was square because how do you shore around <laughs> – it's yeah. not as easy as shoring no. a square You know, if you're doing trenching. Yeah. And it's not even talking about OSHA, but – if you're if you're out there and you go a certain depth, then you've got to put shoring up. How do you do that in a round without laying actual like concrete forms yeah. or something? Well, and we do we do talk about OSHA. We have to have mm-hmm. trench training, um, and that's uh, uh, it's you're right. It's so much easier to lay a piece of plywood up against the wall and then shore yeah. it up with some two by fours or something. Um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, it, I mean if it's if it's bowed out at all, then that's not doing you any favors, mm-hmm. right? Now in shovel testing, the short round ones. That can happen as well, but typically you're filling the hole back in in another few minutes. Mm. So it's not that big a deal. You're just taking out more material than you need to for the sample size. But the other thing people do is they pinpoint it mm-hmm. which, or, they, or they bathtub it so they don't square off the bottom. Mm-hmm. They round off the bottom and they just they either don't know how to do it or they're just too fast or you know, they're not paying attention. So, so, so those are some of the, the shovel stuff. But then also, uh, you know, I'm a huge proponent of digital archaeology because we have to bring out the the – textual and photographic information from the mm-hmm. field as well because a lot of times like especially here in nevada where we do pedestrian survey we call it we don't dig on the first phase of survey mm-hmm. uh, because everything's sitting on the ground and that's a that's a discussion about geology that we could get into later but we go out there and we walk across the landscape and things are typically sitting on the surface that are you know fourteen thousand years old or older and we uh pick those things up we look at them we take pictures we describe them and we put them right back on the ground Mm -hmm. unless it's something that's super special and super rare and we don't want to lose it we want to collect more information about it then we usually have to contact the blm if that's the land and say hey we want to collect this because we don't have a permit for collection Mm -hmm. so we have to call them and say this is what it is can we collect this and once we do collect it then that'll get analyzed by us. It's usually kept by the, the cultural resource management firm in our offices, you know, as an artifact. The BLM knows where it's at or mm-hmm. it can go to the BLM if they want that. And, and to answer Mark's question, uh, 
you know, artifacts typically collected in this country, if they're on private land, then they go, they belong to the private landowner. And the landowner can decide, well, I want you guys to hang on to it because you're the scientists or, or I want to keep all that stuff when you're done with it. We usually have written in the contract something like, you know, we're going to have it for X period of time so we can analyze, clean and catalog, things like mm-hmm. that, and then move on. Um, and then all that stuff goes to the landowner. In the case of federal land or state land, then it either it either stays with the cultural resource management firm in there if they've got a, a curation facility or a place mm-hmm. to do that. Or it goes to something like the Nevada State Museum. You know, it can go down to Carson City or down to Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, uh, the BLM doesn't really keep any of that stuff. They keep the reports, but um, they don't really have artifact storage facilities. So mm-hmm. all that stuff goes there. Now, and that's that's basically, to answer Mark's question, those are the basic tools we use. You know, in the field, we use clipboards and tablets and phones to collect information and data. Drones are, are becoming a bigger factor mm-hmm. in all that. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on, and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code TAS. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. But let's have a higher philosophical question here. Right. Brian. And, and let's talk about the fact that ISIS has access to billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. Well, did. Yes. Right. According to this report, they're about done. Right. I am going to take a note here because I want to come back to what I was saying because you're right. I wanted to talk about criminal tools as well. Um, so, I mean, surely ISIS is hiring um, <laughs> people to look at satellite imagery, look at – I mean, they're well, probably no, they don't hiring archaeologists and stuff, right? Do you think they're really just digging willy-nilly anywhere? Yes. Yes, because that's how Syria is. The whole damn place is, is an archaeological site. Just dig anywhere and, and grab yeah. and go. And, huh? and I'm not sure if I can say that on community radio, but I just did. I <laughs> forgot I'm not on a podcast. Um, but the whole place is is an archaeological site. Mm-hmm. Like you see them, you see the stuff that makes the news, and they're toppling over these statues and these buildings right. and stuff like that. But under the ground, right there, is priceless artifacts, mm-hmm. and, and they're priceless to the people who think they're priceless. Mm-hmm. They might just be pottery sherds. They might just be little figurines or something like that. In the grand scheme of telling the story about that archaeological site, eh, maybe they don't say that much, to be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. there's tens of thousands of them, right? So, But to to ISIS, who can sell that to even for a few dollars when they sell 10 million of them, that mm-hmm. helps fund their war. Mm-hmm. You know, That helps fund what they're doing. So 
these guys, the reason you can tell the strict difference between obviously real um, scientific archaeology and looting mm-hmm. is that we're concerned with data. So when we're concerned with where things are collected and how they're collected, we have to do it systematically. Well, people who aren't concerned with that don't have to do it systematically. So you typically see random looter holes where they're just they're just picking spots in the ground to try to dig and find stuff and you'll often see big bulldozer scrapes if they've got that kind of equipment but mm-hmm. often it's just shovels just think like an excavator yeah totally totally they might be looking for big stuff mm-hmm. or they might be just be you know picking up a huge spot of ground and spreading it out with the excavator and then go through it and seeing what's there so because a lot of this stuff they don't they're not too concerned with breaking it either because it's all stone or something right. like that it's so. just like I'm not trying to aid ISIS, right? But I just feel like as a management consultant, <laughs> like you guys, like really you're just going to dig just anywhere, like stand by me. Yeah. You're just going to go dig holes in your backyard until you hope you find something. Or yeah. like how about get some, you know, archaeological information before you, you know, right. call before you dig. <laughs> you know, like they could afford to hire the people. I'm just saying, I'm not saying what you're doing is right, but if you're going to do something, <laughs> do it well. You know, I love the call before you dig. Like we should go put those signs up over at Syrian archaeological sites, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See if they do it. <laughs> See if they do it. Well, you know, the thing is too, if they were smart, like they're, the Syrian government is clearly out of control, right? Right. Yeah. So they're not monitoring any of this, right? So if ISIS is in there and they're digging willy-nilly, it's not like they're doing this other cover of darkness, right? They're doing it out in the open yeah. and everybody knows they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. So if that's the case and you're trying to maximize your profitability, why not teach them some archaeology, have them collect the data, and then they could – they could sell. They could sell books on their on their research. Right. They could sell the data. How many movies or books <laughs> have an evil an evil corporation with a legal front? Yes. Right. That you you funnel everything this way. Oh no! Look, we're a museum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. This is all going to some dude's basement, in Switzerland. Right. right. ISIS archaeology. Right. I mean, if they collected the data scientifically, analyzed it, sold it, and then sold all the artifacts, I'm not saying that'd be the best thing in the world. But I'm also not. I'm also saying it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because right now we're getting zero data, right? right? And any data is better than zero data. So, along those lines, I saw when I was looking at some news articles last night. I saw an article that just said it was something like you know an architect's uh, several architects ideal future cities. And mm-hmm. when I say future cities, I'm not talking like Star Trek future. I'm mm-hmm. talking like 50 years from now future, right? Because mm-hmm. I think they were saying 2060, 2070. This is what cities should look like. And you know what those cities had? They had they were green, so because gardens were everywhere, sure, right? Like because, the whole building is a, a flower. Exactly. Or yeah, a the plant. whole <laughs> exactly the whole building's a plant. Mm-hmm. You, you you have these communities of of skyscrapers where you don't typically have to go anywhere. Maybe a lot of people are working remotely, or their offices in that building. Yeah, and the mall and the rest. They have those in like Dubai already, I believe. Or you don't have to leave your. Building. I know, dude. It, a lot of Asian countries have mm-hmm. that too, mm-hmm. where it's just like it's a community. You leave to go do touristy things. You know, you leave to go do sightseeing and and maybe see other family. But for all your day to day stuff. You're not wasting time leaving the building and, and doing other stuff. Yeah. You're just everything's right there. Going out in a sandstorm in 125 degrees or something. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, why would you leave? Why would you leave? So, so, so that's what's that's what's in all those pictures. You know, I just glanced through the article mm-hmm. and all these pictures. There were those. You know what? There wasn't in any of those pictures. Mid-century modern hotels or old buildings that mm-hmm. are on the National Register mm-hmm. or anything else that's like. It, I made me, if I was a better artist, it made me want to put up a meme that was like basically an architect and a scientist rendering mm-hmm. of the future and a historian's rendering of the future. And the historian's rendering of the future is still basically a dirty old city from the 50s, but right. it's got like a sparkle to it. Right. You know? 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking about that now. And every every movie you think of, oh, this is what we would have liked, you know, yeah. like if. And yeah, there's no old brownstone buildings. It's no, it's all gone. Have trains and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and metal buildings. Well, you know why? Because we don't we don't achieve that state until like everything's wiped out and we just start over. So that's we why. need World War Three. That's the Star Trek philosophy too. What was it in like? Uh, 2100 or something like that they had World War 3 and blew up everything mm. I mean I don't know what was destroyed but enough was that they had to basically rebuild from the ashes yeah. at about the same time they invented warp drive we're really geeking out now mm-hmm. but the point is and, and I was thinking about this with the destruction of Notre Dame Cathedral um, after that fire mm-hmm. you know immediately after that happened articles came out how we've got amazing detailed 3D scans mm-hmm. of Notre Dame Cathedral mm-hmm. and they were coming out with first off, you know who did the high detailed 3D scans? Video game companies. Yeah, there was yeah. a whole actual uh, on that like the day after or whatnot. Yeah. A whole bunch of people got online onto I think one of the Assassin's Creed games because <laughs> the outside of the cathedral was perfect. Yeah. So a lot of people joined on as kind of uh, to show respect and to actually remember what it looked like before it was destroyed because mm-hmm. they got it perfectly on the outside. Yeah. Well, it's also perfectly on most of the inside as well, mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of these in a lot of these cases. And archaeology um, companies and things like that have gone through and done professional three D scans as well. So my point is, in the, in the articles I saw regarding those, they were like, "So it will be easy to rebuild, right?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, but do we do we need to? Sorry, France, but do we need to? Right? Because I mean, not that I want to put up like a brand new Catholic skyscraper, but it's just like we're we're hanging on to these old things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like when I've moved the last couple of years, you know, done a lot of watch the whole Marie Kondo series on, mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. Netflix and all these other things. And everybody would agree, even people with lots of things, everybody would agree that if you have fewer things, it's just better for your life. Right. Right. I mean, I just threw away a bunch of old crap yesterday that I had. You know, we still had some boxes that we've been moving around, even though we've we've downsized literally everywhere we've gone. Mm-hmm. We moved up in square footage the last time we moved and we moved down in the things that we own. Mm-hmm. And. I just like I'm I'm over collections. I'm over it. Like mm. I don't want them anymore. And I'm starting to feel like that as an archaeologist too, and especially as a digital archaeologist because I'm prefer- I'm preserving the past every time I record in a digital format. Mm. And to me, as we're getting better at digital preservation, and I think that's just I think that's just the way to go. You know, because so so we're we're doing this incrementally. We're getting better at digital preservation. So the actual recording of things in a digital format, not just not just text and words and pictures, but mm. 3D scans and mm. things like that. And what's going to come from that into the future is digital rendering, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. we're getting better at the same time at augmented reality, virtual reality. Exactly. You know, so we'll be able to revisit these things. And, and we've got all these small components that we don't know fit together. I was on Google Earth the other day looking at an imagery of a project area I just looked at down near Fresno, California on Saturday. And I wanted to see, uh, you know, there was an old... Uh, there was uh, vi- it was a vineyard. There was mm-hmm. part of it was a vineyard, and I wanted to see what the historical imagery was. And I went on Google Earth, and the farthest back you could go, I think, was 1994 for historical imagery, mm-hmm. but unchanged. I mean, they looked like old vines, and right there, that told me that they were at least 25 years old, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I know based on what I saw, they were much older than that. But even just right now, I can look at historical imagery, I can look at the past, I can look at the present, and. And I can recreate all this stuff because mm-hmm. whoever's developing right there, I don't even know what it's for. They're probably going to rip all that stuff up or I wouldn't have been there. <laughs> right. So, so perhaps you're suggesting that you LIDAR 
the heck out of everything. Drone three, whatever the the best technology yeah, yeah. is for yeah. rendering, lidar it, and then what? Raise the building, put up your new building, and then just have it virtually or augment. Like if you want to, you can go into VR and you can walk through the whole site as it yeah. was. Right. Or you have your augmented glasses or contacts at this point and you're doing a historical tour. You can like, yeah, put Notre Dame back where it was. Exactly. You can't necessarily physically walk through it. So, so two things based on that. One, if we did all that, it makes everything that much more accessible. Mm-hmm. Who can go to France? Right. Who can get there from the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. Half the people in Europe probably get there pretty easily, mm-hmm. but it's really expensive for us to go there, right? So not to mention people with disabilities, uh, oh, sure. things like that. Really difficult for them to experience these things, but there's no reason right now we have the money, we have the technology, we just don't have the will. We could put something together that almost everyone in the world could experience in almost real-life format, right? Almost real life. So, so there's that. The other thing is I think cities and historical societies and preservation societies and things like that Rather than picketing for the non-destruction or revitalization of a building, they should be propositioning their members and the and the city for funds mm-hmm. to actually do the 3D scans and preservation of this mm-hmm. stuff, and then and then work on the rendering. I'd rather walk into, um, like let's say, take for example, there's the uh, archaeology museum in uh, uh, Naples, Italy. It's a pretty famous museum. It's huge. It's fantastic. It's it's enormous. Nearly everything in there came from Pompeii because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like right next door. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm I'm unimpressed. I'm impressed by the marble statues. I mean, those are just impressive to begin with. Like mm-hmm. there was like whole room size. This house that we're in, there was stuff bigger than this in there that they dragged from Pompeii and wow. stuck in this museum, right? So that was impressive just from an artistic standpoint. But then you get into the rooms and rooms and rooms and rooms of small artifacts, beads, coins, things mm-hmm. like that. And they're just tacked to a display case with a number on them. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and there's no provenience. I don't know how people use these things. I don't know what was going on. It's just junk that was found, people's trash and garbage that was found, and is now on display in the museum. Right. And then there was one small section where you could walk in, and it was a whole virtual reality thing. Mm-hmm. And it was this new deal. Somebody put it in there, this new like temporary exhibit where you could interact with like hologram type stuff, you could put on goggles, you could mm-hmm. do things, and I, that's the future. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the future of museums right there. And if we had preservation societies and historical societies that weren't just like we shouldn't tear down that building because this important person sneezed there once, mm-hmm. you know, we should. Well, especially with the idea that what's important varies so widely from you to me oh, to yeah. anyone. Like, yeah. who decided that house is important and because? I'm sure they had a neighbor that didn't like them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? But, like, why are they saving his house? That guy was a jerk. I know. Um, so, yeah, who gets to decide what's important and continues to decide what's important? And then at some point, we're just doing it because we've been doing it. Yeah. Right? Not because anyone really has a strong attachment to property or whatever. Right. You know, well, and I've got a comment on that. But first, let me just... Say again, because we're at the bottom of the hour here. Uh, if you've got any questions, 775-515-4141. Uh, Mark, if I didn't answer your question fully and you're still on lunch, feel free to call in. <laughs> um, 775-515-4141. Uh, you can also tweet um, Archeoweby, A-R-C-H-E-O-W-E-B-B-Y, or at ArcPodNet. You can also email me, chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com, and I'm just looking to see if I've got any missing tweets. I do not. So... Because uh, I also don't have anybody to like maintain that for me. <laughs> um, speaking of, we could use a volunteer producer for this show. If you want to help me find guests and things like that, just let me know. Chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. So thoughts about who gets to determine uh, what gets preserved, right? Mm-hmm. Well, 
I'm, I'm calling myself out here and um, banking on the fact that very few people from Reno are listening to this, and it's heretical for me to even speak these words as an archaeologist because I'm supposed to love everything history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I love, I love telling stories, right? And I've said that on the show before and my other podcasts. I love using the things that we find and and to tell the story of the past. And I think the story is the more important thing, mm-hmm. as uh, Tyrion Lannister proved in the last episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. The story is the most important thing that we have here. What are these people's stories? What are the, the, the area stories? What are the, you know, the origin stories? Those stories are the most important thing that we need to preserve. And there's a whole group of people trying to save mid-century modern hotels in downtown Reno mm-hmm. and probably other places too, but specifically um, downtown Reno. Because downtown Reno became what it is now in the 50s, mm-hmm. right? In the 50s and 60s when – you know, the whole um, Route 40 uh, was coming through there, and it was just this, you know, highway hotel kind of thing. It's iconic. All the all the neon and stuff like that, all that came at that time frame, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now, most of those hotels are run down weekly rentals because of a law change that happened in the late 70s, early 80s that said – uh, that said um, long, weekly short-term rentals like that uh, didn't have to have uh, – what was it? They didn't have to have a kitchen or something. Hmm. I can't remember what the law was. Something changed to make it so you could basically rent a hotel room for longer than a few days, mm-hmm. right? It was very strange. And now, uh, you know, they're – not all of them, but there's a lot of crime that happens at these things. There's a lot of drugs that get dealt over there. There's a lot of things that are happening. Oh, yeah. They're all – I mean, Kesha, I don't even know if she still makes music, but she yeah. filmed all her videos at those. <laughs> right. Dirty, uh, yeah. 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 And, and there's people that want to preserve these because it's the they, they say that it's the original character of Reno and they want to preserve this stuff. Now, some of the things they're using as their as their ways to preserve it is, you know, there's I think there's a co-working facility in Sacramento or something like that. They took one of these mid-century modern hotels, basically put millions into it and revitalized it. And now. They've got all old like '50s furniture and things like that, but it's all brand new, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. a, and it's and I'm like, okay, that's that's cool, but it still costs more money to probably do that than it did to tear the building down. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just step back for a second. The original character of Reno, so Reno was a, a, a dusty Western town, right. you know, before that, right? Now there were big buildings up in the early 1900s, but let's go back to the late 1800s. When silver and gold were being, you know, discovered here in the Comstock Lode, Virginia City, the whole thing. The original character of Reno then was wooden, crappy buildings that were falling down and, you know. Any mining town right. that just struggled enough to survive. Yeah, and, and there was a huge archaeological dig done by a local firm here in town uh, when they dug the trench through Reno for the train mm-hmm. uh, for the train to go through. And they found all along the river, of course, tons and tons and tons of uh, Native American artifacts Mm -hmm. because the Paiute Mm -hmm. were obviously here well before that. So if you want to go back to the original character of Reno, we'll knock everything down and put up teepees. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly, lean-tos or whatever. Yeah. There's no original character. You want to go back 20,000 years, then we'll just put big megafauna on the landscape, Mm -hmm. and then we'll Mm -hmm. get rid of all the buildings and people. Like, what does original character even mean? Yeah. It means original for the people who are running this group. Right. It's yeah. people that are still alive and holding on to old memories. Right. Right. Let's be honest. It makes me wonder what, um, well, our generation and the generation coming up after us is going to see as preservation worthy because we're more of a disposable society right now oh, for sure. than our parents were. 
Well, and I think everyone after us mm-hmm. will be much more likely to, to hop on your idea of virtualizing everything, if sure. you will, and having that because we don't tra- probably travel as much. We, mm-hmm. we don't. Things are kind of dangerous sometimes out there. And so if you can go somewhere from the comfort of your home, why wouldn't you? Right. If you're already in a self-sustaining city in Dubai building, why leave? Yeah. If you don't have to. Oh, you can see it. It's better in person. Well, is it? Because yeah. like standing in line and, and dealing with it just, yeah, is it really better? Yeah. I don't think, like I could take it off and go to the kitchen and make a sandwich, come back. <laughs> you know? so, I, yeah. think, uh, I think you're right. Uh, just from my point of view too, I mean, things are temporary and we should be improving. Yeah. We should be learning and, and growing. Yeah, totally. You know, and it, it's, we, we can't do that, unfortunately, without, without tearing down the old and, and, and replacing it with the new. Right. You know, but like I said, I, I'm not an advocate of just tearing stuff down willy nilly in order to put up a new building. You know, preserve it. Mm-hmm. There is something to be learned from those uh, from those old buildings. There's architectural styles. There's um, you know building techniques. There's information that we have learned as a society that we shouldn't forget. And there are important events and things that happen. But again, I don't like imbuing artifacts and and buildings and things like that with events and circumstances you know it just makes it it puts this value on it that i don't think really belongs like a hundred years from now people are excited that they found the gsr right and they're digging up bottle caps or old ticket stubs from some concert or something yeah look hot august nights 1920 or not 19 you know 2010 whatever um and suddenly that'll be special and be like no it was just a place we went spent money and like it wasn't wasn't the white house it wasn't you know something (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so. I was actually thinking about this on the way in today, and I remember, God, it was probably 10 years ago now, uh, we were at my parents' house up in Washington State when they lived there. Uh, for It was a big holiday, Thanksgiving or Christmas, one of the two. And we were making some kind of meal, and my mom had these old, uh, this old set of hand mixer, beaters, you know, mm-hmm. this old hand mixer. And it was, I mean, I remember the thing from when I was a kid, mm-hmm. right? This thing's like 30 years old at this point. Actually, it's closer to 40 years old, I think, maybe 35 years old. And... And it's just like, I mean, it's practically arcing and sparking on the inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see that it's it's actually broken, but still works. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, and we saw that because we, I don't know, they brought it out or used it or something while we were there. And I went and bought a new set, like a brand new, really nice set of mixers for them. And, uh, and the way their house was configured, you go out the kitchen door right there, and it was kind of on the second floor. The whole main part of the house is on the second floor. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, like a, three-story house a two-story house with a basement except the whole basement was raised up out of the ground it's kind of a weird thing Hmm. um probably because there's a river right there Mm -hmm. but anyway so when you come out the kitchen door you're standing on this landing that's basically the second floor and then you can look out over the detached garage right which is basically a big workshop kind of thing and and there was snow on the ground and so the whole garage was covered in snow and so i took (laughs) i took the mixer and i just got I got fake mad at him, and I was like, "What are these things still doing here? What are you doing with these?" And I and I ripped the cord out the back of it, and then I chucked them onto the top of the carport. And my mom's like, "Just her mouth is open. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing?" And then I reached down in the drawer where I had put the brand new ones, and I pulled them mm-hmm. out and said, "Oh, here, I got you these." But she was kind of in tears because she's like, "She's like, we've had those since our wedding," yeah. and I was like, "It's an appliance." Yeah, no, I was just thinking, I was like, "Oh, you just messed up, dude." Yeah, I uh, I had a similar thing with. Uh, a previous wife, <laughs> previous in-laws, so it's safe, right? Yeah. Where same thing. Call we them outlaws. Went, yeah, outlaws. That's right. Yeah. Uh, or I am the outlaw because I'm the one that's out. <laughs> um, but we went to their house and same thing. They had like butter from 1970. 
right? Or probably margin because it was right. so good. Yeah. Like, it was pink, if that says anything, right? <laughs> and like all this old Tupperware and stuff that they're using as like legitimate storage. And I was like, no, this stuff, it's half-life ended forever ago, right? Yeah. So same thing. We went to the store and bought them like all new, all this stuff and threw away their old stuff I thought my wife was going to get kicked out of the family, like right there. And we they're like, you get in your car and just get out because they were super upset, mm-hmm. super upset. So yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. When you were telling the story, I'm like, Oh, it's not going to end well. No, no. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? She got over it and guess what? She's still new using mixer. those brand new mixers. Yeah. You know, I'm actually surprised she didn't like sneak out later and go get the cord and get it and try to like finagle. Oh, it. I ruined it. <laughs> I made sure it was not only just on the roof of the carport, which it probably is still there because they've mm-hmm. moved since then. And it's hard to get up there. And the roof would probably cave in. Right. So it's probably still there. But, uh, yeah, I made sure they were unusable. Yeah. But I've done the same thing, right? Like my first – I'll never forget my – I don't know why we put attachment on these things because – probably because our memories are so – I don't know. They're so volatile, you know. But but now Facebook reminds me of everything that happened right. 10 years ago on this day. But, you know, nostalgia, so. you get rid of it, you're getting rid of yourself. <laughs> yeah, right? you, a little bit. Yeah. But, but at the same time, you're adding new pieces. Mm-hmm. to your own puzzle mm-hmm. you know so why why hang on to all those old pieces when you can just keep rebuilding and and keep improving and, mm-hmm. and going on you know so my my thing is i build a legacy with not with my things like i don't want anybody to keep something of mine that said oh this was chris's and i want to use this to remember him no i want them to go to the archaeology podcast network that'll still be around and listen to me on podcasts mm-hmm. and listen to the listen to this radio show on the archaeology podcast network and you know, have that kind of legacy rather than a physical legacy. Like I would be, if there was, if there were an afterlife and I had the ability to see what happened after I died, I'd be super disappointed if I had some sort of physical legacy that somebody was hanging on to. Mm-hmm. You know, although I have told my wife that I want to be plasticized, like those bodies exhibits, mm-hmm. like like doing something and then just like in the living room for the rest of her life when I die. But, <laughs> so not in a museum, just <laughs> but she has to drag you around everywhere. Yeah, I'm just like sitting in a chair watching TV or something. Editing. You, <laughs> Editing. You yeah, got that no. tray. On your lap? Oh, my God. That's perfect. Yeah. And yeah. then that way, if she ever gets like a cat or whatever, it could just jump right up there. and Just live there. Yeah. 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 It'd yeah, be that, perfect. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. That's the only thing I want to live on is my actual plasticized self. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun T-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. I mean, what do you have that's that, that, that you're hanging on to? Do you have any collections? I don't even know that about you. Do you well, collect anything? Not on purpose. Yeah. Right. I'm, I flake out on topics and I like stuff and then I don't. So I'll have a few things that I've kept over my whole life. Yeah. Like I literally, I have a, a piece of jade stone as opposed to jade gas, mm-hmm. uh, a piece of jade that when I was like nine, we were having a, a, we had a lemonade stand and some homeless guy walked by and he goes, well, I don't have any money, but I have this. And mm. I was like, yeah, dope. I'll take that rock. Thank you. Cause this is pretty, a super nice green rock with some, you know, yeah. uh, the white rivers through it or if you will. And I was, so I still have that. Yeah. That thing has gone with me to England. It's gone with me all over where I was in, in the military and I, I was cleaning houses. I still have it. Mm-hmm. I still have this rock just because you know, where I have like these three rocks right. that I got from wherever or, but 
and call this a collection or not, but once you're a veteran, all your military gear that you're hanging on to, right? Like I just mm-hmm. literally last week, I've been out of the Air Force since 2010. I just got rid of a pair of desert boots. Oh, man. That I've just been yeah. holding on. Oh, I don't know. Have to go to the desert someday. Yeah. I don't know why. What am I keeping it for? There's no reason. No. Well, so when I, we have big houses and stuff, they, we're less likely to get rid of that stuff because mm-hmm. we have a place for it. Sure. It that takes, place was in a closet somewhere in a box, and that's why I decided it was time to go. Yeah. But same thing, though. You, I've still got desert pants that I turn to shorts. You know, sure. I've got these just little, you know, Coke bottles from other countries, stuff like that. <laughs> um, so that kind of collection. But that's – and even that, I look at that stuff, and I'm, I'm like, why? Who, yeah. If I die, does my daughter want this Coke bottle? Right. No. Well, most of the time, and you just illustrated this example, it's it's not even about the things. It again goes back to the stories because that little jade rock, if you hadn't – if you'd thrown that away the next week, mm-hmm. right, would you remember this story? Oh, for sure. You know? I mean, maybe you'd remember this story, but you're in your 40s now? Yeah. Yes. You're in your 40s now. You might not remember that story from when you were nine if you didn't have this rock to invoke that memory, right? Yeah, I'm not sitting around thinking about it until I run across the rock. Exactly. I'm like cleaning something. Oh, man, I still have this. But then then it's a fond memory. Yeah. You know, and if we had other ways to have those memories come back to us, other virtual ways that maybe we could travel down memory lane and Mm. see that stuff. And I think that's what we're going to have in the future. Um, Maybe some sort of personal AI that's created from our online presence, you know, or something Mm. like that, that just puts all this stuff together and we can run back through, you know, our our things that we've done. Because I've got, you know, when you start putting together these little pieces of information, like between my phone and my watch, I mean, my location is probably being you know, recorded mm-hmm. <laughs> by oh, various sure. devices at all points in time. Mm-hmm. They know what date it is. We know what the weather is. I can already paint a pretty good picture of my life with just those pieces of data. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the personal interactions I'm having, but through intelligent AI, I could probably say, you know, something something that looks at May 24th, 2019, will know that I was here. I was down at David Wally's Hot Springs before this. I'm sitting here on this radio show now. That'll be cataloged. Um, you're here now too. So that association mm-hmm. is now made in the AI and you know, it's just, I, I think that'll solve our problem. Yeah. I'm pretty sure like black mirror, uh, had a premise <laughs> on that right now, just between Facebook and Twitter and, and podcasts mm-hmm. and websites and yeah. being on stage. And like you said, geo tracking of people, whatnot. Right. I bet they already have enough information that if I actually physically died, they could AI my personality on Facebook and no one would even know. Yeah. It could still check me into places. It could still make comments like I would make. Mm-hmm. It totally has enough data to do that now. Um, and I could, in yeah. essence for everyone else, I could kind of still exist. I think that was a black mirror episode. Cause this, this woman brought back like her dead boyfriend yeah, or something through, yeah, through, through like a tablet or something. Yeah. It just got deeper and deeper. Yeah. And then yeah. she had like a sea monkey and it turned into a person and yeah. Was, and then she's like, Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Kind of went crazy. <laughs> so I'm like, look, yeah. uh, it's like the, like what you see at Easter with the, uh, a rabbit is a 10 year commitment. Okay. <laughs> you don't just get a rabbit and then it's not cute after. Yeah. Same thing with the sea monkey person. Like if you, you're going to make a sea monkey person, you got to keep them. You can't you just lock them. them in your attic again at the end of that episode. That was messed up. I'm you, just saying. You can't just put water back on them and they just dissolve back into a sea monkey? If know? they did, they should have showed that. It would have made me feel better at least. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right, so we're, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but I want to know, and we were going to talk about more news articles, but I want to know what, I mean, what do we think the archaeology of the future looks like? You know, what are archaeologists that are being born right now mm. and they're going to do archaeology in 25 years, 30 years? What... 
what are they going to be looking at? You know, yeah. What time period would they be looking at the same ones you're looking at or do they advance? Yeah. Now there's, there's still, there's from a, from a legal standpoint, there's still plenty of stuff to be found, quote unquote found. I don't know how much more we can add to the story of Mm -hmm. the past. And at some point, somebody's probably going to bring up the fact that we're not adding a lot more to the story and our job will be gone uh, because we, we cost developers money Mm -hmm. and we cost governments money and, uh, and not enough people see archaeology as a strict benefit um, to history. And I think that's our fault. I don't mm-hmm. think we're presenting it very well. I don't think we're presenting it in a way that says, yes, this is valuable for me to know and understand. Maybe if we could get oh, – this is a good idea. We could create like a Facebook messenger bot or mm-hmm. something like that that brings up your local history you know, and, and says, hey, on, on this day back in whatever, this happened. And not like – this day back in 1952, like this day back five and a half thousand years ago, mm. wouldn't exactly be this day, but it'd be close, right? <laughs> and and people would be like, oh, that's really neat. But then you got to cite your source too. And it's like this information was gathered from archaeological projects in your area, mm-hmm. you know, based on the the rerouting of Interstate 80 or you know a solar farm that was put up or mm-hmm. something like that. Or like when UNR knocked down a building and they had the grave site there. <laughs> right, right. Hey, this used to be something else, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people don't know what's right under their feet, you know, even historically what's right under their feet. Mm-hmm. You know, examples like Q&R are pretty good because, uh, and that's University of Nevada, Reno, for people living or uh, listening to this remotely, but the, uh, or, or on the internet. So that's a good example because nowadays we have laws in place that say, hey, go look at the ground here before we dig, right? Call before you dig. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but Back in the day, they didn't have any sort of subsurface technology, anything like that. And they may have – I will bet somebody probably knew there was something there. But they're mm-hmm. like, let's just put the building over the top of it and hope nobody says anything. Yeah. you know, Because there weren't any laws or regulations governing that. It was just all thoughts and feelings. If somebody knew, they'd say something. Right. You know, but once all the descendants are dead, you know, who would know? For example, we went out to uh, – my wife and I, a few weeks ago, we went out to an old – ghost town, I guess you would call it, called Humboldt City, um, off of Interstate 80 near Lovelock, Nevada. And it's from the late 1800s, and mm-hmm. there's still quite a few um, structure remnants out there, like full walls and everything. And there's a burial out there that's uh, got a, a, a modern grave marker because the person died in like 1997 or something. Hmm. And it's in this little field area. I don't know that there are any other graves there. And I'm, I'm sure there was a cemetery associated with this little boom town. And, uh, but the point is, this person was probably born in that town because there were mm-hmm. people hanging on, you know, up into the 50s would be my guess. And they wanted to be buried back there. I honestly don't know the truth. Maybe they just liked the area and mm-hmm. got permission for that. But this this adherence to, to place and um, and things like that, that I think is okay because place, place can still be a thing. Like mm-hmm. if Reno in 50 years is a modern city with tall glass buildings and, you know, high-speed rails to San Francisco and all that stuff, then – the place is still something you can honor as a, as a location, and that doesn't get us into trouble too much. Mm-hmm. It's just this weird adherence to, to buildings and artifacts and things like that that gets us in trouble. Well, and I was thinking about something you're saying where, like, oh, we're trying to keep the spirit of Reno, which means uh, the spirit of something at a younger age. Right? Mm-hmm. So imagine if someone tried to do that to you or me. Yeah. Like, no, 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 don't progress. Don't ever grow as a person. We want to keep the spirit of you when you were 12, <laughs> right? That was the, like the best years you had. We just yeah. had to keep that. that. We liked you the most then. Right. No, that means that we can never grow, become more. Yeah. Right. As a city, Reno has already metamorphosized a few times. Yeah. And they tried to be gambling until what the late eighties. And then we, you saw a shift towards outdoor living and mm-hmm. more outdoor sports and art 
Uh, and now we're shifting again to, you know, a, a hipster type city and yeah. you know, a, a, a easy place for people to sell their homes in California and come up here and, <laughs> and do all that. So we're changing again, right? Yeah. But, oh, we're going to keep the spirit. Well, then that doesn't allow us to mature no. as a city or change our image or anything like that. Yeah, there's at least two uh, two hotels downtown that were built on the bones of old hotels, but mm-hmm. they look like new hotels. So if you can do that, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't have uh, a single slot machine inside of them. Yeah. You know, two oh, hotels. Wh- what Whitney Peak? Whitney Peak and Renaissance. Yeah, they used to be Fitzgeralds. Yeah. And honestly, the only time I ever went to Fitzgeralds was to go push the button. <laughs> if anyone's old enough to remember that, there right, right. So yeah, we'd visit, just go straight in there, push the button, win our deck of cards, yeah, and get back out again. Nice. Um, but. Yeah, yeah, if yeah, take a building and repurpose it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, if you can do it at a good cost, you know, and you can like, like there's there's a couple of buildings next to there. Um, so when Rachel and I, my wife, lived in the montage across the street from there, mm-hmm. um, right as we were moving out, and I haven't been downtown probably four months since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but right as we were moving out, they were taking down these two old buildings right next to Whitney Peak. I think they bought them, but they were. Uh, made of brick, right? And I don't know the antiquities. I think it was 20s and 30s. But they were taken apart brick by brick. Mm. Like, just, you had people up there with scaffolding, and then they were putting them into wheelbarrows and, and taking them down. And I don't know what they were doing with the old bricks if they sold them, uh, you know, because a lot of places are buying up this old stuff to, to mm. repurpose, mm. which is great. But, man, the sheer cost it takes just to just to do that. Oh, just in labor. You know? Yeah, just in labor. And I don't know what it costs to make or buy bricks, like brand new ones these days. So I'm not sure if it's worth it from just a material standpoint or if they're really just doing it because they're old bricks. But when you think about it, I mean, old bricks, are they really imbued with this thing that we give them? Is it really the old sense of Reno? Have they soaked up all the urine from people, you know, yeah. just over the years? Can you I just mean, put a, a quarter-inch facade <laughs> right? on the exterior of your building? Right? <laughs> now, someone's going to take these old bricks, and they're going to build some hipster coffee shop out of them, and then somebody else is going to buy that in three years and paint over the top of it, not realizing they're old bricks, Yeah. right? So, I don't know. I'm just not sure what the value is in it, you know, to be honest. So, anyway... Um, Back to ISIS. <laughs> yeah, right. They really need to be more. Fa- Actually, so I guess they're done. I think that part of that article was saying that they're effectively out of business. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Um, but you know, the thing that the thing that this whole article brings up is that there's a, like you were alluding to, there's a, there's already they they didn't they didn't invent looting. No, they didn't invent this infra- infrastructure. They tapped into an already established sure. black market sure, sure. artifact that's been going on since probably before World War One. Oh, it's been going on right. since Roman times. Okay, yeah, yeah you're probably exactly it's Greek and yeah, yeah. Whenever stuff started being cool, yeah. Um, well, people always like like old stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they like historic stuff. They like old stuff, and and they're willing to pay for it, and they're willing to display it as treasures. You know, mm-hmm. on their mantelpiece. So you know. I'll tell you one thing. I think that's weird now that I'm thinking about it. So one of the times I was over in Iraq, mm-hmm. uh, I was in southern Iraq, and right off of the the location where we were. There was the ziggurat, yeah. which is this pyramid, yeah. right? And it may, and again, I could be getting this is several years ago, but I could be getting my dimensions off. But literally next door to this temple to the moon to worship the moon was supposedly one of or the house of Abraham, like biblical Abraham. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so of course it was below the the level of the ground, and you could walk down and be three or four feet deep right. and walk through different rooms or whatnot. But there was no no one watching me like i could if there were if i saw anything interesting i could have just started chipping away at stuff and sure. like check this out it's abraham's house you know yeah um 
So is it that that the company or the company, the country just didn't have the resources to protect it or that it's already been stripped and no one cares or just no one cares or it's hard to say. I mean, they were in the middle of pretty big war at the time. So, you know, probably had other concerns. Yeah. Not that big of a priority. Yeah. Um, I do know that in, in Europe and more than likely the middle East and a lot of parts of Asia where things are just older. Mm. Um, like, like for example, I spent, well, I spent almost two months, uh, on the Island of Jersey in the channel islands between England and France. And they were celebrating that year, so I think it was 2004, their 800-year, not founding, their 800-year independence mm. from, I want to say, France or something, because they were being fought over by France and England, and mm. they came under English rule, basically, 800 years ago, as of 2004. Mm. And, you know, they had they had old stuff. Um they had old things in their uh, in their in their town and things like that, but they just didn't care about stuff unless it was like four or five hundred years old. Right. Like one hundred years old was a young building. You mm-hmm. know, they'll knock that down tomorrow, right? But if it's eight hundred years old, then they'll start thinking about sure. it. You know, they'll start thinking second about. It. So in a place like Iraq, where they're surrounded by ten thousand years of antiquity, now mm-hmm. structures are you know at best a couple thousand years old for the really old ones, but uh, and and maybe a little more. But you just get used to it. You know, you get used to it. We see stuff that's 50 years old here and we want to preserve it. They see stuff that's 50 years old and they're like, I don't even know why sure. we're talking about this. Well, it's all you know? relative to the, the time yeah. of existence, right? We're only a couple hundred years old as well, a country. And it's relative to how used to it you get, too. Sure. You know, if you're used to seeing that around and it's just not special to you because, you know, you used to play dominoes out there as a kid or something or whatever they do. Um, probably not dominoes. Whatever the, whatever little game kids play in Iraq. Um, but anyway... It's just, I think it's all about that. And then it, the second thing you said is also true. It's also about resources. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way it is here. I'll never forget um, the one the one place that I've seen consistently in this country, in the United States, that you can walk around and it feels wrong what you're seeing and how easy it is just to take stuff because mm-hmm. there's literally no oversight is Chaco Canyon. And Chaco Canyon National Historic Park, or it's a national park, but it's like Chaco culture history or something like that it's got a weird name anyway it's down in uh um new mexico Mm -hmm. and there are these it's this whole canyon and there's these little you know pueblos and and, you know settlements for the for lack of a better word all over the place Mm -hmm. and i'll never forget rachel and i we hiked up to this one that was up on this ridge um uh pueblo alto or something like that and it was uh we're just like we're like what is that crunching sound and it's pottery like we're just walking on pottery because it's everywhere I mean, it's everywhere, and mm. it's this fantastic pottery that we weren't used to seeing on the East Coast because East Coast pottery is in the sand. Sand is very acidic, so mm. the pottery is very crumbly. If it were painted, which it probably was, that's all gone now, mm. so there might be like impressions and stuff on it. But we're seeing the really cool Anasazi black-on-white geometric design pottery mm. and fragments of it, and it's just crunching under our feet. And then some people can't handle that, and you see these little piles of them on rocks and stuff like that. And I mean, there's nothing. There's nobody there. There's no park ranger. Mm. You know, we hiked six miles to get there. Mm. There's no park ranger. There's no anything. And you just put piles of it in your pockets if you want. We didn't because we're archaeologists and we're like, we couldn't even conceive of the fact that it was there Mm -hmm. for the taking. Mm. (laughs) But then again, to people's credit, it was there for the taking. Yeah, that means everyone left it alone. Exactly. Or at least what you saw of it was what was left. Of I mean, maybe there were millions of sherds and now there's only (laughs) fifty thousand. I don't know. You know, but. It says it says a number of things. It was really eye opening to me. It was it was the ubiquity of stuff like that in the historical record. But then it was also 
like we put so much value on that stuff, but the people who created it literally threw it out the window. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're like, oh, that broke, bam, off off the out the window. They didn't have a trash pile somewhere. Right. They didn't have a dump that they brought it to. They didn't put it in a trash bag and then haul it outside the town. No, they threw it out the window. Yeah, yeah, onto the street. you know onto the street or into their front front out their front stoop, and then it just got walked into the into the landscape. You know. It's very strange. Could you imagine being the one guy that has a problem with that? <laughs> right. Like, oh, you are, all of you are filthy. <laughs> Just clean your yard. Just clean your God, what is wrong with you? Well, it, well, that's, I mean, that one person is in like every generation and yeah. every community. And that's how we have the laws we have today. Yeah. He's a time traveler. Yeah, he's he's just, totally. just literally a person. A- absolutely. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, uh, we've just got a couple minutes left. Brian, why don't you remind everybody again about the fabulous uh, comedy show coming in okay. June? Okay. Uh, June 20th. It is a Thursday. It is a comedy show that will feature probably five comics, myself being one of them. Uh, these are comics that headline and feature at comedy clubs like Punchline, Sacramento, South San Francisco, which is kind of a hard topic because they're going to close that one, I think. Mm. Um, but this is the same quality comedy that you would get downtown in a club, but out at Spanish Springs so that the people that awesome. live there don't have to deal with the city and the traffic and all that stuff. And Spanish Springs is, you know, a 10 minute drive from downtown Reno. So if you live in the Virginia Street, Reno, Central area, you know, it's not that far away. Yeah. And you're driving away from most of the traffic. Yes. It's probably easier to get to because you don't have to go to a parking garage Mm -hmm. and then deal Mm -hmm. with that and then walk there and blah, blah, blah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I are thinking about some stuff downtown this weekend and we're probably going to ride our bikes there because it's just easier than parking. You know, even though parking is free most places, it's still just easier than parking. So, um, all right, so that's really cool. Um, thanks for coming on, and, and thanks for talking about that. Also, it's definitely a 21 and over show. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I had my choice, it would be 35 and over. But, yeah, 21 and up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Don't bring the kids to that show. Um, you know, give them a round of golf, but I don't think you can play at 8 o'clock at night, so mm. Mm, probably mm. not. Night not, golf's not a thing? Not yet. Not yet? I mean, later yeah. on in the season, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably. Well, June 20th, that's practically the solstice. 2021st? 21st, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, maybe you could. Hey, it's the it's the lightest day of the year. It's not going to get dark till like 11. Yes, come so. to the Summer Solstice Comedy Show. That's, maybe that's <laughs> what I need to change the name to. You really Summer should. Summer Solstice in Spanish Springs. Ugh, people love alliteration, right? I know. They really do. <laughs> yeah. So... All right. Well, thanks a lot, Brian. Uh, I was hoping to get to some more news articles. If you've got anything you want us to talk about, uh, Chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Again, you can tweet me anytime, archaeowebby, A-R-C-H-E-O-W-E-B-B-Y. You can also tweet uh, archpodnet and uh, get that going. So, you know, I'm new at this radio game. I don't know how to work any of these buttons. It's all kind of crazy. So we're just going to hope that things play here at some time. And then go from there. But probably not. So, anyway, let's... (laughs) There we go. There's the music. All right. Good job. Yeah. That's community radio, folks. That's what this is. Um, uh, One more time, happy birthday to Christy. Uh, I hope she listened to the whole show, but she probably didn't because she has a life and she has to work and she's turning 40 today, so other concerns. Maybe she's drinking. She's. I guarantee you there's margaritas involved tonight. There you go. Guarantee it. So... All right. Well, thanks a lot, everybody, and we'll see you next time. You can find this show at arcpodnet.com forward slash archaeology, as well as lots of other archaeology shows. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. 
You can provide feedback using the contact button on the right side of the website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeology. Or you can email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Please like and share the show wherever you saw it so more people can have a chance to listen and learn. Send us show suggestions and follow ArcPodNet on Twitter and Instagram. This show was produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network. Opinions are solely those of the hosts and guests of the show. However, the APN stands by their hosts. Special thanks to the band Sea Hero for letting us use their song, I Wish You'd Look. Check out their albums on Bandcamp at seahero.bandcamp.com. Check out our next episode in two weeks, and in the meantime, keep learning. Keep discovering new things and keep listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Have an awesome day. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bro.